Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello, nerds, and welcome to the Engadget Podcast. This is episode 36, Bad and Bougie. And already, one of my co-hosts, Sherlyn Lowe, is shaking her head. I always shake my head at you, though, T, so hi. Why do you hate the Migos so much? I don't hate the Migos. I just don't like that you're using it. You're appropriating. (laughs) Nice. That's it. Okay. All right. Also joining me, Dana Woolman. Yo, what's poppin', slime? You are the worst. (laughs) Just the absolute worst. I'm the best, actually. (laughs) You channeling V, Chris Velasco, might be, yeah, might be great. What is worse, her channeling Chris Velasco or me using Amigos for the song for the title of this podcast? You, still. Hands down, always. I am usually the worst. That's true. (gasps) How are you guys doing in general on this fine Thursday morning? I'm all right. Hanging in there. Hanging in there? Yeah. Doing lovely. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. You you did your homework last night. I did. Which I'm excited about. Yes. We're going to talk about Little Shop of Horrors later. Yes. I did my homework and I live tweeted it. Oh, nice. I missed the live tweet, so I'm going to have to go back and look okay. that up. Uh, we will make sure. I said I was going to do this last week, link to your live tweet of Jaws in the uh, description of the podcast. I forgot to. I should rectify that, but I will make sure to link to the live tweets of Little Shop of Horrors. That's okay. Episode. They're pretty inane. I'm on your live tweet right now, so. I mean, to be fair, this whole project is a little bit inane. In yeah. general, it's True. to we're, we're trying to give uh, Dana a little pop culture entertainment and expose her to a lot of movies that she should have been uh, exposed to a long time ago. Sounds like a Devendra kind of idea. Um, this is actually Dana's idea. Oh, she nice. came up with this on her own, uh, decided this should be an ongoing segment on the podcast. And now we have a list of somewhere in the range of like 120 movies. We have about a year and a half, year's worth, yeah. year and a half worths. To be fair, we can definitely trim that list down quite a bit. It was mostly just like a brainstorming document where every time I thought about a good movie, it got dropped in Uh, there. I like this. But first. But first, we need to get to the news of the week. And we're going to do a sort of themed episode this week and kind of focus on two stories of bad behavior at the corporate and executive level. Um, And we're going to start by talking about a frequent um, name that pops up in these sorts of stories, and that is Uber. <sighs> yeah, let's just breathe air into the mic. <laughs> just everybody groan just, audibly. We uh, had a few weeks respite, but now, now we're back with Uber. Yeah, I mean, the Uber thing again. It seems like every, I don't know, I want to say two to three weeks at least, Uber and uh, Travis Kalanick... Right? That's uh, how you pronounce his name, I assume. Callan. Yeah, sure. Uh, are doing something to get themselves in trouble and generate a whole bunch of bad press. And the most recent is uh, the revelation of this program called Hell, which was the counterpart to their Godview or Heaven program for tracking their own drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Dana, are you all sorts of caught up on this? Do you want to give us a little quick rundown? Yeah, so... Um 
Hell is um, basically this was designed to identify which drivers were also driving for Lyft and then lure them away and make them, if possible, Uber-only drivers. And so Uber didn't it didn't involve any hacking or anything um, explicitly untoward, but um, basically they exploited um, a loophole in the Lyft app um, where it was clear that different drivers had fixed identification numbers that didn't change from one day to another. And so um, based on that and also just their location against Uber drivers' locations, it was possible for um, Uber to have a very good idea of who was driving for both. And um, then once they knew that, they could do things like observe people's driving habits, and then they could also um, offer them incentives ultimately to not drive for Lyft as much. They'd send more fares their way. Mm -hmm. Um, There were bonuses involved. Um, There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it it doesn't appear that Uber did anything illegal in this case, right? I mean, it seems pretty pretty clear that, at least purely legally speaking, this is on, you know, the up and up. But ethically, it seems like it's kind of in a gray area. I don't know what you guys think. I think that, I mean, some some lawyers or speculated that there are possible breach of contracts, unfair business practices, and apparently misappropriation of trade secrets and stuff like that. There is, it's possible, but there are no, like, real legal implications right now, maybe because the laws are so gray. Yeah, it, that's the sort of stuff that's kind of difficult to prove, right? Right. So, I mean, it's chances that it's going to result in some sort of charges against Uber or Kalanick or slim to nil it, it and there's also a fine line between ethical and shrewd you know like it's it's hard to it's hard to kind of make that judgment so that, that's sort of like one of my big questions here is you know it's at least on the face of it seems like it's really kind of clearly ethically questionable at best but you also do have to acknowledge that they are a company and they have a responsibility to make money as a company. If you're not making a profit, then you're not doing your job, basically. So if a competitor leaves themselves exposed in this way, is that, you know, is that your responsibility then to use that to your own advantage? So I think in a vacuum, that might not bother me as much, right? I mean, Uber is not in a unique position of having... Um, a very obvious direct competitor. Um, But I think taking a broader view, Uber seems less focused on making sure it has the best product on the market. It seems a little more focused on sticking out its its foot and tripping the other person. And I'm trying to think of other famous um, rivalries in the business world, not even tech per se, where this has been the case. Um, you don't really see McDonald's trying to sabotage Burger King or vice versa. You see them competing in other ways. I'm just trying to think of, of a parallel to Uber and Lyft. I mean, where... I, th- I think certain people might make the uh, argument that we've seen this similarly with Microsoft in the past during their heyday. Um, you know, Microsoft made a big splash of like buying up anybody who could potentially be seen as a competitor building out a product that pushed people out of other market areas and were pretty famously I want to say in the 90s the subject of like um, antitrust law yes. regu- uh, lawsuits and stuff around the inclusion of Internet Explorer as being the default browser mm-hmm. on Windows 
So, I mean, I think you could probably draw some parallel there, at least. Or at least some people would. I, yeah. I, I guess my question is, if Uber went about this a whole different way, like they asked, directly asked their drivers, and maybe they already do so, like, are you driving for another company at the same time? Then they could, you know, use a more above-board way of, of doling out these incentives. Well, I mean, I think that gets into a problematic area, though, probably for them as well, seeing as how uh, the these drivers are not employees. Yeah. And so what they do on their downtime is really more or less yeah. their own business. Um, is an optional thing. They want yeah. to declare they can do it. But I get it. I mean, well, And also, too, Uber um, would have had an incentive not to publicize this, not just because they look like assholes, <laughs> but because ultimately they apparently shuttered this program when Lyft expanded to so many cities that it would have um, Uber would have lost too much money paying bonus payouts in all those cities. Yep. So I think to have made public to drivers that they would be incentivized for also driving for Lyft, you just would have had a lot of signups yeah. on Lyft, which would have been good for the competition. Mm. True. So you kind of hinted at this before, though, Dana. Is this the sort of thing that you probably would be willing to overlook or not that make a big deal about if it was a different company? Like, has Uber just at this point lost the benefit of the doubt completely? Um, I think so. And, you know, it, it is hard to say what I would say about this if it were a different company with a totally blank track record. Um, but here... Um, it's it sort of exas- it, it sort of um, underscores an opinion I already had, right? Yeah. I didn't think too highly of Uber, at least um, from an ethical standpoint, until now. And I, I don't know if this doesn't help things, um, maybe worsens them slightly. Um, it, it's not their worst offense, to be clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think part of the problem, at least for me in my mind, is that it's hard to kind of separate the hell program from its quote-unquote uh, partner program in the God view, mm-hmm. which for those who don't know is how Uber tracks all of their drivers. They have this program that's pretty much open to most employees of the company so that they can see where all of their drivers are at any time, which makes sense and has a purpose. Mm-hmm. But Uber also got in trouble for abusing that system and using it to do things like track journalists who are critical of it which is why it's probably a good idea that none of us use Uber. That's the thing, is is the line between Uber um, quietly bullying Lyft and bullying its own employees and even bullying sometimes its customers is a slippery slope. Yeah. A blurred line, I should say, if I don't want to mix the metaphors, mm-hmm. but yeah. You mix all the metaphors you want, Dana. Yeah. It's your show. It's delicious. <laughs> so it, it, it's... I think one of the things that's kind of gotten lost in some of the coverage of this, too, though, that I think is kind of interesting is it's been a lot of focus on what this Uber is doing to its competitors and how it's doing all of this tracking. But a big part of this was them trying to lure people away from Lyft driving exclusively for Uber, which is, you know, a goal that I understand. But it seems like they did it at the cost of loyal Uber drivers, basically. Right. Which right. doesn't exactly instill a lot of confidence from people who are working for you. Yeah. So w- what they were doing were, was monitoring traffic and looking for where rides were coming from and intentionally directing more rides 
two drivers who were driving for both Uber and Lyft in hopes that those drivers who were kind of, uh, what do they call it? Double... Double dipping or something? Yeah, they have a, they have a, a, a word for it. Double like apping? Double apping, I think, is the yeah. word they use, which is, yeah. by the way, a terrible, yeah. terrible word. Um, and try to convince them to switch over to being full-time Uber drivers by basically making it like, well, all of your rides are coming from Uber anyway, so you should just give up on Lyft and do this full-time. But this meant that they were sending less rides to the people who had stuck by them from moment one. I mean, if I, I am embarrassingly enough still an Uber user, and I, I mean, I speak to the Uber drivers frequently, and most of them are really upset at anything Uber does, although considering I'm mostly taking Ubers in New York City, that's kind of understandable. But I mean, I don't think the drivers themselves are all that happy with Uber anyway. It's just, it just is the biggest player in the industry and they almost have no choice but to at least double app if not you know try yeah. ex uber exclusively so i don't i don't like defending uber um but i'll say this and i'm not saying this just to be contrarian but um there are parallels to what uber is doing um in the business world in general i think um the people who are talented but appear to be less satisfied um, or are making more of a stink about, let's say, their salary, are more likely to get something, whether it's um, a raise or some other accommodation. Um, I think there is something, something to the adage of the squeaky wheel gets the grease, at least if that person is also talented and valuable. And I think you see that in other industries, including ours. So um, I'm not that surprised to see that Uber is um, letting things lie with the drivers who seem content Right. And don't seem like they're about to jump ship. Right. But isn't that uh, in some ways, I guess, kind of counterproductive if their goal is to get as many drivers into the system as possible and, you know, you'd want to build that sense of loyalty. Not saying that you need to be going out of your way to reward the loyal drivers. Again, that's kind of like a, a decision for how you want to manage your employees, in quotes, because they're not actually employees. But... If you've been driving for Uber for a year and all of a sudden you're seeing the number of fares that you pick up drop because Uber is directing more people to these pe uh, drivers who are double apping or whatever, wouldn't that make you consider doing that yourself and maybe giving Lyft a shot or some other yeah. service? Yeah. Where you to your, I mean, to your point, ex exactly counterproductive. The second this comes to light, first of all, I mean, now everyone's going to just try to double app to get all of the incentives, but obviously the way to make you know people want to exclusively drive for uber is to provide more incentives to exclusively drive for uber not the other way around give incentives to those who are double apping so yeah. this is kind of a roundabout way that they themselves are very pleased with themselves for so i, I get the feeling <laughs> that uber and travis kalanick are constantly very pleased with themselves happily just <laughs> patting themselves on the back um I mean, we don't really need to discuss whether or not Kalanick needs to resign. I think we're all we've we've all had our say on that one before. Mm -hmm. um, and he's not going to. Oh no, he's not. It doesn't really. So matter. yeah, it's a moot question. But I think sort of the bigger question is, you know, how long before all of this bad press really starts to hurt the company? You know, it seems like a pretty constant barrage of bad news cycles for Uber, and. While I'm sure it's hurt at least somewhat, it hasn't seemed to do 
any serious damage to the company yet. I think it's because they haven't IPO'd yet or gone public yet. Because if they did, then anytime this news breaks out, investor sentiment would fall, and then share prices would fall, and then they would, you know, suffer loss. Like what happened with United this week when it had got some bad press. I saw this meme. Can I Lost a quarter of a billion dollars in you, yeah. you can derail cap. us to make can fun I? of United. I saw a meme on Instagram today. It was a woman waking up from a three-week coma. She goes, hi, how are my socks in Pepsi and United doing? And I was like, oh, you poor girl. <laughs> I'm sorry. I get very easily amused by that. But, um, <laughs> but that was great. Yeah, exactly. Like a listed company like United can't, can't suffer anything like that. And therefore, they're, I think, more careful to address these issues immediately or, or... Well, I mean, to be clear, part of the problem with United is they were not careful in how they were trusted. Well, and I do think, by the way, one thing that I think United and Uber have in common is not enough competition. Yes. Uber has Lyft, which is, is a biggie, but otherwise... Not a ton. Not No other big players, and there's all this consolidation in the airline industry. Um, so, I mean, United's own competition, especially domestically, yeah. is mm. fairly limited. The, the airline industry is kind of a weird thing that could completely derail the show we should probably not dive too far down that rabbit hole but yeah there's it seems like there's more competition in the airline industry than there actually is when you start digging into it right is basically how that rolls anyway f the man yeah um (laughs) but yeah i mean it doesn't seem like their user the user numbers have dropped dramatically it doesn't seem like there's been um a whole lot of rebellion from within the company it's too it's to dana's point to that, you know, competition is important. Like, I have at least seven taxi-getting apps on my phone. And time and again, I go back to Uber because, A, Lyft's app is messed up. Its prices are higher than Uber's. They won't give me an exact price. They always give me a range, and I always find myself on the higher end of that range, and Mm -hmm. it's always expensive. Uber is always, you know, more affordable for some reason. And then just the other apps like Get or, or I guess, Halo, which is my taxi now, Curb. There's just so many options that just don't have the traction that Uber does. And because of that, much as I want to move to Lyft completely and not do Uber anymore, I can't because it's it saves me money. It saves me time. So I'm going to ask what is potentially a really dumb question right now. No worries. But do you need Uber or Lyft at all? You I live, mean... You live in New York City. That's not a dumb question. Where you can just stick your hand out and get a cab? Yeah, well, actually Uber is slightly cheaper than getting a yellow cab sometimes, depending on the time of day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes when there's no cabs around, that's when you want an Uber, right? Like, it's... I mean, like, I, I understand that it serves its purpose. Yeah. I mean, I took an Uber a couple of weeks ago. I did not get the Uber myself. Somebody okay. else did. But that was because there was like six of us and we were in the middle of nowhere in Brooklyn. Right. And like need an Uber XL to get across. Right. But for the most part, I can usually just kind of like stick my hand out and hail a cab if I need to. I do it for the convenience. I don't want to like wait around in the cold, looking on the street to see if there is a cab. I can wait indoors for my, my Uber to show mm-hmm. up. I could do the same with Lyft, I guess. But this is like a whole other philosophical question you're asking. Yeah. <laughs> Before we move on, I want to ask the same philosophical question of Dana, though. Do you do you feel it necessary to get Uber? Or are you, you, my fellow native New Yorker, perfectly comfortable just stepping outside and waving your hand in the air? I take Uber sometimes. I mean, it's, it's often not my first choice. Um, the cab rides I've taken this week have all been yellow cabs. Um, Sometimes it is the only or better choice, depending mm-hmm. on um, where I am, what time of day, and the availability of cabs. Fair enough. There you go. Yeah. 
But you're, you're I mean, trying you try to getting a yellow cab in the rain in New York City rush hour. It's not oh. happening. No. Yeah. And and I've fought with people trying to get yellow cabs before. Oh, you're you're <laughs> I'm converted a New Yorker. Yeah, Good. there we go. So I, I yelled at someone. Even I haven't um, thrown elbows trying to get a cab. I haven't fought anyone physically, so. Um. Yeah, I haven't thrown any elbows. I've been, I've almost had to throw elbows at a cab driver, but never at somebody trying to steal a cab from here. Okay, I've, I've kicked a cab before. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm a New Yorker. There you go. Oh, y'all are. Um, but we should move on <laughs> from one company that can't, can't seem to escape bad press to another company that can't seem to escape bad press. And a uh, new member of the Verizon family. Mm. Almost. Almost. Mm. Yahoo. Mm. Uh, Sherlyn, you wanna you wanna kick this one off and and tell <sighs> us what the the latest development is. So back in two thousand and seven, Yahoo's then CEO Jerry Young had to start a human rights trust fund called, I believe, the Yahoo Human Rights Trust Fund um, to uh, benefit some political dissidents in China who were thrown in prison, prison for some reason. Well, yeah, so let's, let's camp out on that for a moment okay. before we, we, we get too far down this road. So Yahoo's history of bad press doesn't begin with a series of hacks in 2014 that they failed to disclose. Right. This goes all the way back to 2007 when they turned over identifying oh, God, yeah. information about political dissidents to the Chinese yeah. government which landed these dissidents in jail. Right. And and <laughs> I mean it's since then I, it's it's you we've learned also they've co- cooperated with a lot of other governments mm-hmm. ours included the US government included. So this in is In a way that most of their competitors have not to be yeah, clear. Yeah. In a way that uh, Google has not in a way that Facebook has not in a way that even I believe AOL has not done. Um uh, I don't know about AOL, but yeah. There was, there was a lot of resistance to that sort of thing from the industry at large. Okay. But Yahoo seemed to be a little bit more willing to cooperate. And in this particular case, uh, it... Landed people in prison yeah. for no real reason, reason other than these people just spoke out publicly against Chinese government's like, actions. So um, after the, he was taken to court, um, he decided to set up a $17.3 million fund. Um, but and then he he was speaking with the families of the people who were thrown in prison and had a translator there and this translator was Harry Wu and he's a noted uh, human rights activist in China and and then has become a U.S. citizen since but um, he appointed that person to run the fund and Harry Wu passed away last year but it's since come to light that apparently Wu was misappropriating the funds of that trust fund so so we should say that he, he it's he's been accused of he's been accused yes sorry we don't, um, we don't want to say for certain because there's still some legal stuff you know allegedly yeah. he misappropriated the but funds. it's reported at least by like it, documents from the the lawsuit have come to light that's shown that he has reportedly used some of the funds to a pay himself and his wife a million dollars and then set up a museum dedicated to showing off like stuff from the labor camp in China, so it's it's only seven hundred thousand to about uh, one point two million dollars of that seventeen million dollar fund was supposedly uh, had supposedly gone to the intended beneficiaries, which were the seven or eight political dissidents. 
and other people who would resolve. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's a huge like scandal. It's just it's just crazy. And it's, and then so the suit came up recently yeah. this week, yeah. And and we should talk a little bit about um Harry Wu, who wasn't just a translator, but he was a political activist himself. He spent what nineteen years in a Chinese labor camp for for a, like a different for bad reason too, for just being a political uh, dissident yeah. again. And so he seemed like a good person to right. take charge of this. Uh, it seems like it made sense. It wasn't like a real like crony pick. Like he was just like a buddy of the CEO of Yahoo. Right. He was very respected up until last year when some of these rumors came to light. And, I mean, I am not super big or up on Chinese news, but his name comes up, mm -hmm. and he's well-respected. And he had a great reputation up until last year. So this just... I have a lot of feels about it. Yeah. I mean, the scale of these accusations is kind of stunning. As you said, it was roughly, they were saying between 700000 and $1.2 mm -hmm. of this money went to its intended uh, cause, causes. Mm -hmm. the, so like a fraction. Yeah. The suit claims that a full $13 million was misused. Yep. Um, and that Yahoo executives kind of turned a blind eye to it. Like they knew it was happening and just decided not to do anything. That's where I I have like, I, I might be the contrarian here. I don't know how responsible they are for that. I mean, you can tell from their dealings with governments and, you know, regional authorities that they kind of step back or are happy to comply with like overriding authorities, I guess. And not that Harry Wu himself is an authority here, but it feels like this was more, there are like international things involved here. Well, I think this kind of speaks to a broader cultural problem at Yahoo, which is just their avoidance of confrontation in general. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you see that with the fact that they decided to capitulate to the Chinese government hand over identifying information about political dissidents, that they allegedly turned a blind eye to Harry Wu's misuse of funds in him funneling a million dollars directly to him and his wife, to him funneling four million dollars to this museum, which, to be clear, is a museum that is part of his nonprofit. Right. So he was benefiting himself specifically um, to their reluctance to admit and deal with all of these hacks that have keep, kept coming out. In general, it seems like Yahoo just doesn't want to bite the bullet and deal with things, right? They're very conflict avoiding. Mm -hmm. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I think you're right. I think that, um, yeah, I, I, it, it's, it's about not wanting to be confrontational and I think, to an extent, not owning accountability. Yeah. Which is bizarre, though, for a company. Like, this is part of your job as a company is to do that sort of thing, is to take responsibility for your actions, especially if you're a publicly traded company, um, you know, and answer to your shareholders and stand up for your customers and do these sorts of things. And Yahoo is like the weird kid who would rather just kind of like nod back into a corner and not speak to anybody. 
I'm I'm gonna ask a potentially inflammatory question. Go ahead. Do you think things will change after the Verizon purchase? That is a good question and one I am probably not suited to answer. <laughs> um, None of us are. I don't know that. I mean, With it's certainly going to change. It's just in what way, and that remains to be seen. Um, well, I don't think Yahoo will be in control of that part of its own destiny anymore. Yeah. At least, you know, really high-level issues of disclosing security breaches, mm-hmm. um, uh, negotiating with foreign governments or pushing back against foreign governments, um, that will not fall to Yahoo's executive team, which, by the way, I don't believe will carry over. Most um, of them will not. To, you know, after this acquisition. So, um, yeah, I, I just, my sense, based on what I know, and I don't know very much, they don't tell <laughs> us anything, is that um, Yahoo will not actually be in control yeah. of that part of its destiny anymore, at least super high-stakes issues like that. Right. Has, I guess my question was more like, I'm not as familiar with this as you guys might be. Has Verizon had a better track record of being open and resisting of the governments and... <laughs> Again. No. No. <laughs> I mean, Verizon was one of the first major tech companies named and shamed um, after the initial Snowden disclosures. Yeah. yeah, and if if I remember correctly, they were also implicated in the sort of mass phone tapping scandal under uh, George Bush. Um, so, yeah, they're... Not looking good there, I don't know. And we also know that they are a, a staunch opponent of net neutrality and things like that. Oh, I remember that now, yes. So. But would I describe Verizon as sort of a milk toast company that just shrinks from confrontation? No. No. That's 100%. That I would not say. Yeah. So I don't know. We're going to have to see how that plays out. Um, I have a feeling that the sort of shrinking violet kind of attitude that Yahoo has right now will disappear to a certain extent. Um, they are being folded into a company that is clearly yeah. much more aggressive and much more forward. And Yahoo was always a company, or, or long has been a company, that whose main focus was treading water and just mm-hmm. trying to stay afloat. Verizon is not worried about its survival. It's worried about its dominance and expansion. True. And, and yeah. to Terrence's point, it's a very different worldview yeah. than Yahoo's. So the one of the other questions I kind of had about this, and this kind of gets to a bit of what we're talking about in the buyout and stuff, is to what extent this reflects poorly on Marissa Mayer specifically. Um, She has not had a great run of it as CEO at Yahoo. Um, And she will not be joining what is going to be called Oath. (laughs) Guys, you can take the Oath. Have you? (laughs) I might. Um, So she will not be joining the new joint Yahoo AOL company, but this scandal, the, these issues, all kind of predate her by a pretty significant margin. So this... I guess, so, um, in our own story, um, we wrote some of the whistleblowing went back as, as far as at least 2010, if not earlier. And I don't mm-hmm. believe she was CEO then. I no. think my question would be, and it's not obvious from a first read, is... To what extent did the whistleblowing continue after she took over? But, I mean, odds are... Odds are she knew. It did. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's sort of the thing that I think is continues to be problematic. Because, again, she inherited a mess. She inherited a problem. And then it kind of appears that she failed to deal with it properly. Like, this is part of the thing she was brought in to help clean up 
and she failed to do it, it seems. It, it seems like she was happy to let sleeping dogs lie. Like, if it doesn't surface, let's just not bring it to light. Yeah. And and otherwise she focused, it seems like, on the, acquiring a lot of different companies and focusing on that instead. So I don't know that I would completely blame her for the underlying issues. It, I think it takes a lot of courage, to use Apple's word, um, to to bring these up and create trouble for yourself because if she had known about these and she had decided we're going to come clean and I would, you know, as a company take responsibility, then right it would be the right thing to do i think but it in mayor's case the the trust was dissolved in 2015 yeah. well after she took over as ceo so yeah. i mean as often is the case in watergate russia gate every other gate the question is just what did she know and when yeah yeah and i mean and and to be clear this is these are like complicated systems these are complex corporate structures and we don't know the exact legal connection between the Human Rights Trust Fund and Yahoo proper. Right. So she took over in 2012. And while I find it hard to believe that it would have taken three years to dismantle the trust if she had started immediately, it's still entirely possible that she found out about it and started relatively early trying to, di- to uh, dissolve it, but that it might have taken some time to do because of legal problem, uh, legal issues. That being said, she still took over in 2012, and it took until 2015 to, to successfully pull this thing apart. And now her company is facing a lawsuit demanding somewhere at, at, at least $17.3 million, basically. And that the remaining, what, $3 million is given just to the beneficiaries, I guess, wholesale, right? Um, that I would have to, do, have to, have to double check. I, I, yeah. At least from the New York Times thing I was reading. Um, yeah. So yeah, they're in a they are in a rough place. Pickle. Um, <laughs> do you guys have any final thoughts about Yahoo or Uber before we wrap this up and end on a, a slightly brighter note? Um, I just like to say that, like yeah, like you were saying, these are a lot of companies are, are having similar issues. I mean, even this week we heard Leco's deal with Vizio fell apart. <laughs> That's another shady ass company that we'll yeah. talk about next time, but. I think They're not I th- alone. I think I yelled a lot about Vizio the, the week where all the stuff about them monitoring your viewing habits oh, broke. Mm. I, I may have dropped a solid dozen or so F-bombs on that episode. <laughs> I shall go watch it. I don't Everybody should go back podcast. and watch that episode. Oh, yeah. In fact, go back and watch all of our episodes just for fun. It's a good time. Yeah. I guess bringing, I brought that point up is just kind of to, to ask, like, and really briefly, I guess, like, are corporations like which ones are trustworthy? How do we know like who who's shady, who's not, and you know can we trust them? Should people trust them? I mean, too long didn't read version. No, don't <laughs> trust them. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I mean, the clearly some companies are more trustworthy than others, but at the end of the day, none of these companies have your best interest at heart. They're all about making money, and that's Profit. doubly and that's doubly so of any company that is a publicly traded one. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I get all Bernie Sanders on everybody, <laughs> you know, oh. there's a there's significant issues with the the shareholder model of like running a company. If you're 
focus is on making money for an elite collection of people who happen to own stock and not for better better serving your customers that is that is a fundamental problem in how you run your company and that is how every company is run really mm -hmm. you didn't say that in a bernie sanders voice i did not say it in a bernie sanders <laughs> voice but that's definitely the sort of thing that he would say that bernie would say yeah um <laughs> But I think it's it's time to move on to the wind down. Yeah. Kind of relax. Talk about something a little bit light, more lighthearted. Uh, we're going to end with you, Dana, because okay. yours is a full conversation that yeah. we're going to have to have. Uh, but we call this the wind down, by the way. It's I, a glass of wine. If you mm. want to get all um, Kathy and Hoda and just drink at 11 a.m. Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't have a problem with that. I already did. <laughs> No, not really. <laughs> All right. So next next yes. week we're bringing wine on. Yes. Is what you're saying? Well, Kathy Lee it next week. Yeah. Third awesome. hour of the Today Show. Exactly. Perfect. There we go. So, Sherlyn. Yes. Hi. What have you been watching, listening to, reading? Any get any good recommendations for the readers out there, or the listeners? I'll make this brief. I've been watching slash finish watching Big Little Lies on HBO. Okay. It's great. Um, definitely watch. It's only seven episodes long. And I, in general, can I mention the other one? Or if just you, one? if you want. Just as like a long running show, I watch. I listen to Criminal, the podcast, and that's more of an indie suggestion for all you hipsters out there. Hey, hey, um, and Criminal is just fascinating. I learned so much, like nuggets of information from it, and it's a well produced, like you know, documentary style podcast. So wait, I, what is Big Little Lies? Real quick, Big let's Little, go back to the first yeah. one. Okay, Big Little Lies is an HBO um, TV series that uh, looks at a small town in Monterey, and someone's dead, and you just have to f figure out who you don't know from the beginning who is and who killed him or her. But you go through the entire plot line, and and everyone's suspicious. It's like it's like um, Clue, but in I was a, gonna in say a, yeah, but in a small town. Okay. And is it serious? Is it comedy? Oh God, it's serious and it's amazing. And there's there's so much HBO graphic stuff in there that it's like Game of Thrones, but less peen. Slightly less. Slightly less peen. Slightly less peen. So it's great. It's Game of Thrones in the modern <laughs> You're world. You're really selling it, Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> All the, yeah. I, I, and Nicole Kidman. I you know? judge my shows based on the amount of peen, to be clear. Okay, I thought it would be facial hair, but sure. Um, well, that's why Game of Thrones, that's number two. That's okay. why Game Wait. of Thrones is my favorite. Most she facial hair, most peen. <laughs> she didn't say pain? No. Oh. <laughs> oh, I said peen, Dana, I'm sorry. Oh. As in penis, Dana. Oh. <laughs> okay, oh. I, I guess I should say dick. Yeah, that would okay. work too. All right, so. We were trying to keep it clean yeah. and family friendly. Yeah, there we go. But Dana had to ruin it. Yeah. Dana Always like, Dana's pain. It's also there's also pain. Yeah. Um, but it also stars an excellent cast. Um, uh, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, uh, Shailene Woodley, 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 um, Alexander Skarsgård, and just and they're all they did all a good job. And Criminal is kind of self-explanatory. It's a yeah. documentary podcast about crimes. It's just yeah. a crime show. It's yeah. yeah. But it's very well done. It's very well done, and, and you, I learned so many things from it. One example, and I'll finish after this, is I learned that there are people whose job it is to watch other people die. That's <laughs> horrifying. It is, and it's amazing. Go listen to Criminal to find out more. So one, one <laughs> quick question yeah. about that before we move on is, uh, are they individual isolated episodes, or is it like a serial yes. thing, like it's an ongoing story? Yeah. Individual isolated episodes. Everything's okay. wrapped up neatly. Perfect. Yeah. I will add that to my already unmanageable list of I podcast know. subscriptions. I know. 
Uh, I'm going to tell everybody to go check out the new Arca album called Arca because self-titled albums are, you know, the way to go. Why not make it your third album? He's got two other albums, but the third one's the self-titled. It's an amazing bit of cacophony. Uh, you are probably somewhat familiar with Arca's work, even if you don't know the name. Uh, he's done production work before for uh, Kanye West on Yeezus. He produced the FKA Twigs album. Um, he's worked with a couple of other people. He worked with Bjork. So, so a bit of cacophony, you say? Yes. <laughs> That's how you're selling it. Yes. It's beautiful cacophony. It, it's, it's super amazing. Um, it, is, it is really beautiful, but it is also very noisy. It's kind of experimental, like electronic stuff, and he sings in Spanish. It's huh. got a vaguely operatic feel to his vocals. Uh, definitely worth checking out. It is super, super good. I've been listening to it kind of on repeat for the last couple of days. Is it on Spotify? I believe it is on Spotify. It is on Google Play, that I know for sure. Um, I'm sure it's on other things as well. Wherever you get your music, it's probably there. There we go. And now it's time to end with Dana. Yay. (laughs) So last week you were assigned Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. And you watched it. Yes. And what did you think? Um, I wasn't prepared for how dark of a movie it is. you, you were expecting a ex- silly movie about a puppet? I just thought singing plants, and I thought the plant would be Rick Moranis' friend. Mm. And, you know, you, you get to the opening credits, you see it's directed by Frank Oz of Muppet fame. You see that the people who did the music are the same people who did the music for um, The Little Mermaid and other Dis- Disney movies. Um, Which this predates that, to be clear. It does. Um, but, so, it just was a lot darker than... I expected it to be, and I haven't even yet watched the famed alternate ending, which is said to be even darker. It is significantly darker, and, and should be clear, this is based on a play. Like this is mm-hmm. the, you watched the the '80s version of the film. It's based on the. Um, I read this in the end credits. It is based on the Roger Corman movie, which is itself based on a play. Yes. Yeah. Which, if you've never seen the Roger Corman movie, is also very good. Um, and stars Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. and mm. is excellent. Uh, I've never seen it put on as a stage play, but I imagine it's got to be just as good. But, you know, it's a very dark movie. I mean, when you think about it, Rick Moranis is a serial killer. Yeah. And I, I don't like my Rick Moranis when he's a serial killer. <laughs> I'd rather him be shrinking kids. Which, I'm just going to throw it out there, not necessarily much better. He almost became a serial killer in Honey, I Shrunk Your Kids. Just unintentionally. But... <laughs> And only almost. Yeah. So. And then Steve Martin is is like all charming until you realize he's um, an abusive boyfriend. And a drug addict. And a drug addict, yeah. Aw. Wait, um, are the plants here like marijuana plants? No. no. Okay. So, Sherlyn, I mean, you have not seen Little I Shop of Horrors either? at all. Uh, to your point, though, I felt at times I should have been stoned while watching it, that yeah. I was missing something by being sober. So, should we do? Can you give a quick plot synopsis for people who, like Sherlyn, may not have seen Little Shop of Horrors and are unfamiliar with it and live under a rock? So, um, Rick Moranis works in a flower shop in New York City's Skid Row. Just all you need to know is it's a bad neighborhood. Um, And Rick Moranis works in the shop. He's sort of a nebbishy, nerdy guy, has a crush on his. female flower shop assistant who is dating smarmy drug addict sadist abusive steve martin the dentist with brown hair okay 
and um, we have this plant that um, is really interesting in the window, and it gets a lot of people to come in and um, keep buying flowers from the shop. And the it turns out this plant needs human blood to to survive. Um, so this this plant can talk, by the way, and was actually voiced by someone from the. Motown group, The Four Tops. And um, it can talk and it convinces Rick Moranis to go out. And um, anyway, point is... Are people... Do people die? Yeah, I mean, the point is that (laughs) the plant gets fed and it gets bigger and more menacing. And then eventually, uh, you know, there's a climax in the movie. Um, Oh, Sherlyn. Not that kind of climax. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Terrible. Any... Go ahead. Climactic ending um, involving this big, overgrown, menacing plant. And I don't think I've given away too many spoilers. No. Yeah. Um, Um, That sounds interesting. I like the idea of plant fed by blood, but also, have you seen Scary Movie 2? Also, no, I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) I think think. think that was one of the references they... they, Probably. Anyway. I, I enjoyed it. I just I, I was not expecting such a dark, trippy movie when I sat down. I really was expecting something more um, lighthearted and cheerful and G-rated. Yeah, and it is not. Huh. Um, and you do need to go track down the original ending, which they filmed. Uh, that was your extra credit, which you didn't do. Well, but. I know someone who wants to watch the ending with me, so I'm saving it for that okay. person. But yeah. So um, for those out there who don't know. The theatrical ending for Little Shop of Horrors is not the original ending. That's not how the play ends. That's not how the original movie ends. Um, and they actually shot the ending. It's uh, It's been a while since I've watched, but according to Wikipedia, at least, it's 23 additional minutes. Oh, it wow. goes on forever. <laughs> and it is not a happy ending. It is super dark and over the top and really amazing. Nice. So if you, if you are familiar with Little Shop of Horrors and have never seen the original ending, you can easily find it on YouTube. You definitely should go watch it. It's pretty much the best thing ever. Um, I think I might be one of the few people who thinks that the original ending is better than the theatrical one. Huh. According to the internet, you're not alone, though. Okay. Yeah. I know my wife disagrees with me. She thinks it's too dark. <laughs> Darker the better, I say. That's what I think, too. Yep. Uh, I think it's time to wrap it up, though. Any final thoughts, guys? No? Nope. All right. Keep it popping, slime. Oh, oh God. God, I hate you so much. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> uh, all right. Sherlyn, where can the fine people find you on the internet? Twitter, Sherlyn Lowe. Nice and easy. I know, right? Dana? I'm just Dana Wallman. You can catch me on Twitter, live tweeting nonsense about movies. Take it or leave it. Oh, should we give you your assignment mm. for next week while we're here, by the way? Oh, no. I think we should. Who knows what he's going to pick. Have, what uh, about that? Um, is it screeners? Have you, the one with the exploding heads. So, by the way, guys, Terrence's wife, Anna, later went into this shared document oh, we yes. have and um, girlied up the list, which I appreciate. Aww. Yeah. Uh, I, we, I did share the list with her to get her feedback, and she went, this is such a boy list. And it, I went, man, it's probably true. Yeah. Um, I do not know where the list is currently, Dana, so we're going to have to do this another time rather than waste time on the podcast with it. I'm going to nominate something myself. Okay. Heathers. Yes. There we go. Mm. Do Heathers. Heathers is a solid choice. Good. All right. So next week, be ready to talk about Heathers. Uh, You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Terrence O'Brien. Lots of E's, no A's. 
Uh, thank you for tuning in. Please, you know, subscribe, share, rate, whatever your podcast app of choice is. The more you rate, the easier it is for people to find the show. And we obviously want people to listen to the show. Um, if you have any comments, complaints, concerns, questions, things like that, you can obviously hit us up on our personal Twitters. You can hit us up uh, at Engadget Podcast on Twitter, or you can email us at podcast at Engadget.com. So make sure to tune in next week. We'll be back with another episode filled with probably more nonsense about things and stuff. And stuff and things. And tech news, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>